I'll ask if you have your copy of the scripture to turn with me to the book of Amos. I'll say Amos, you say Amos. Uh, either way, uh, I ask you to turn to this little book. Um, someone asked me this last week, do I say it right or do you say it right? Is it Amos or Amos? I'm not really sure, but uh, I'm probably going to say Amos, so you're just going to have to get, get used to it. And um, you can call it Amos, I'll call it Amos. Uh, the important thing is that we, we accept God's challenges from this great little book uh, as we, we work our way through it as a church. We are looking today at, um, at Amos chapter 2, uh, really chapter 2 verse 4 through chapter 3 verse 2, and there's some great, uh, great challenges for us as a church. We are, are just kind of getting into a, a series on, on Amos, and we'll be taking several weeks to work our way through this book. It's a small book, but there's some great challenges in it from a, uh, for us as a church, some of you have already gone home and you, you, after last week and you read through Amos, which is great. Uh, others of you, not so much, but uh, you're, you're going to, I'm, I'm sure, start reading through that this week. And uh, so uh, there's some great challenges, and I, I challenge you to take time to read through this, this small book and, um, and prayerfully as we, we listen to God's challenges for us as His church. I'm just going to read for you uh, just a couple verses. Uh, Amos chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Amos chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. It says this, Hear this, people of Israel, the word the, Lord, the word the Lord has spoken against you, against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. You alone have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your sins. Let me read verse 2 again. You alone have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. Let me just pray for us. Dear God, I thank you and I praise you for the precious gift of your word. I pray, Lord, you lead us through it now. Teach us, God, your ways. Help us, God, to know by your Spirit's movement when we step outside of your ways. And Lord, help us as your church to honor you. Not just when we're in church on Sundays, but with the lives that we live within our families, within our community. God, help us to honor you, to be a people who live according to your word, according to your ways. Help us, Lord, to bring glory, not shame, to your name each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I did mention last week that this is a series on, uh, on judgments and punishments. And, um, you know, I, I've been told by other pastors that uh, no one ever wants to come hear a, a series on, on judgment or a series on punishment. But I have found that we all need to be aware of uh, consequences that are in store when we step outside God's way. We all need correction at times. We all need direction at times. Although we may, uh, we may not like it, we, it may not be comfortable for us, we all need that instruction sometimes and we need God's direction. And this book is full of challenges and, and redirections at times for God's people if we only listen. Now, 
we recognize that Israel in the Old Testament is God's chosen people, a, a people He chose from all the people on the earth to share about God, to teach others about God and to live according to God's Word, to know His Word and to live that out. And we recognized last week how Amos chapter 1, really through uh, chapter 2, verse 3, was all about the enemies of Israel, who had all, they were, all, the border, all the borders of Israel, the different enemies who had been battling with them, some over borders, some had been persecuting the people of Israel, some had been taking people captive and, and enslaving them and selling them to, uh, to other enemies of Israel. And these enemies of Israel, Amos starts talking about all the things that they've done wrong and how they'll be punished. And so as he's delivering this message to the people of Israel about all their enemies, you've got this Jewish prophet who's talking about the Gentiles or the, the non-Jewish people and all their sins. And so he would have had a, a great crowd who would have been kind of almost cheering him on as he's going, yes, go get them, God. All of these are our enemies and here's all the things they've done wrong. So punish them. And so... In chapter 1, as Amos says, for the, the three sins of this enemy, even for four, for that life that's just overflowing in sin, I'm going to bring, bring destruction, I'm going to bring punishment. The people of Israel would have been cheering him on. But then he goes into, he begins in verse 4 of chapter 2, to say, this is what the Lord says, after the people are kind of, cheering him on about the sins of others. He said, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read through chapter 1 and then into chapter 2, verse 4, I can see how the crowd is building up, building up. Yes, for the enemies in the northeast, I'll bring punishment. For the enemies in the, the southwest, I'll bring punishment. For all these border enemies, I'm going to bring punishment. And he, you see the crowd getting riled up. And then he begins in verse 4 to say, For the three sins of Judah, for these three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent. And to me, I just see a hush all of a sudden falling over the crowd. Because I'm like, hold on. Why is the people of Israel, the whole family of Israel being included in this? And maybe some of the people who are in Israel, in the northern kingdom, are saying, well, Okay, well, he's just talking about Judah. And then he goes into some of the wrong that, that Judah has done. And in verse 6 he says, This is what the Lord says, For the three sins of Israel, for three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. What? This is God's chosen people. And then God is bringing this message through Amos, and he's lumping them in with the enemy. He's lumping them in with the sinful Gentiles, who the Jewish people considered to be like, like just dogs, the worst of, of sinners. And the same message they had got all excited about hearing about their enemies, God was trying to say to them. And all of a sudden, the people of God had to stop and listen. And he says, for these sins of Judah, beginning in verse 4, for the three sins of Judah, even for four, so for this whole life overflowing in sin, 
I'll bring punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees. Because they've been led astray by false gods and, and the gods of their ancestors, their ancestors followed. For I will send fire then on Judah and will consume the fortress of Jerusalem. God himself is saying the city of Jerusalem that is their holy city, he said, will be consumed because of the sin of the people of Judah. Because they have rejected God's instruction. Now, I think this is important because this is more than just not following God's ways. This is a knowing God, knowing which way He wants us to go, and then just flat out refusing to follow Him, intentionally going the other way. Now, we do this all the time, even still. We haven't learned anything from the nation of Israel. Maybe one of the downfalls of never wanting to look at a book on judgment or on punishment is that we never learn from others' mistakes. Because Israel, the great people of God, made a lot of mistakes and a lot of times when they just refused to follow God. And unfortunately, we as a church in 2016 still do the same. We, we want to go our own way and we just seem to make a mess of things. We go, God, sure your word says this, but surely that's not what it means. Surely that's not really how you want us to live because that wouldn't be any fun. I remember growing up in the uh, Southern Baptist Church in the States and uh, all the little country churches that I grew up in used to have a church covenant on the the back wall back there. And this old uh, church covenant used to say as a, I'm not going to quote it, but the idea is from, as a, a Baptist group of people, they had committed that um, they weren't going to, they weren't going to smoke cigarettes, they weren't going to consume alcohol, they weren't going to live in any sort of uh, um, sexual relationships, out, any relationships outside of, of marriage. And... Um, I remember some of my friends looking at this kind of list growing up and, and they'd be kind of talking during church saying, as if anyone's going to live like that. Yeah? Who, wants to, who wants to live with, uh, with so many guidelines and so many regulations? Now, uh, I, used to, I, used to get, um, I used to crack up at uh, the deacons in this little old country church that I was raised in. My dad's still a pastor there actually now. And... Um, Every Sunday morning, before church started, all the deacons were standing out the front of the church smoking the cigarettes. And then they'd put them out and then go into church. And then you'd look, and on the back of the wall, there was this covenant saying, we're going to live you know, completely clean lives. Our body is the temple of God, and we're going to honor it this way. So it, it, I'm always reminded of little things like that when I, I see this passage. It says, well, we, we may know what's God's best on uh, not drinking to excess and uh, not... Uh, you know, not living any certain way. But whether knowing it and doing it are two different things. And we can look at our lives and go, there are times that we know God's Word and we know what's best to live and we just flat out refuse to go that way because we just say, God, we know better. Or God, that's not how things are anymore. Now, God expects people who don't know Him to live like sinners. It's so funny because sometimes as a church, we look at 
people who don't know God and how they're living, and we just think, oh, how could they live like that? How could they do such things? How could such horrific crimes be committed? How could they treat others like that? Well, if they don't know of God's grace and God's mercy, if it hasn't radically changed their life as it has ours, how could we expect anything less? A life that's full of sin and full of darkness, people are going to stumble in the darkness. It's expected. It's expected that people without God in their lives are going to sin. But the people of God, this whole family of God, Judah and Israel, who he's talking with, God expected better because they no longer were walking in darkness. They had seen the great light of God. They had felt His love. They had felt His grace. And so they were people without excuse. And so he says, for the sin of Judah, for the three sin, even for four, I will judge them. I will punish them because they have rejected God's ways. And then for the sins of Israel, in chapter 2, verse 6, down to, uh, to 8, he talks about these really three main sins of, of Israel. First of all, a sin of, of injustice. In chapter 2, verse 6, uh, through the beginning part of verse 7, says, For the three sins of Israel... Or for three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. For they sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground, and they deny justice to the oppressed. They are people, God's people, who are supposed to be living according to God's word and ways, who have become a people of injustice rather than justice. God is just, and the people were unjust. They were treating people unfairly. They weren't looking out for the, the poor or the needy. We as a, the church of God can relate to the same even today. We so often sit in our wealth and sit in our prosperity and sit in our freedoms and we forget those who, who aren't so richly blessed. We forget those who are reaching out in need. And we turn a blind eye or in fact sometimes are doing very things that continue to allow them to live in such unjust and inhumane ways. But not only that, not only were they unjust, but they were an immoral people. The end of verse 7 says, Father and son were using the same girl and so profane my holy name. The idea here, at least, is that uh, the father and son are both visiting the same prostitute or the same house of, of ill repute, I guess you might say. And they had grown to, gone, gone to a place as a people of Israel in which there were no rules. There was no guidance. There was no way to live that was right or wrong. A time in which they say there is no right or wrong. It's just however you want to live, whatever you want to do. They had grown to being immoral people who were no longer following God, who were no longer following anything other than their own desires. And they become a people who were no longer faithfully following God. Verse 8 says, They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge in the house of their God 
They drink wine taken as fines. They had started to worship other gods, the gods even of their enemies that had surrounded them, that had taken over some of the people. They had forgotten their first love. They had been unfaithful to God. You see, as I mentioned before, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, He chose them among all the people of the earth to have this great fellowship with, to have a relationship with, and then to share His love and grace with others, to share His strength and His justice with others. And He had coveted with them, He had a covenant with them to be their people, and He will be their God, and He will be faithful to them. He will bless those who bless, uh, who bless. He will curse those who curse him, who curse them. He will look out for them and he'll protect them. And he was always faithful to them. The people of Israel left that first love. They started worshiping whoever they wanted to, different gods of different people. They started following their own desires and plans instead of following God. Now, unfortunately, we can see ourselves in this as well. Because if we're willing to look at our own lives as a church, we so often fall into those same lives of, of immorality and idolatry. Because we live in a society that says that there is no right and there is no wrong. Whatever's right for you is right for you. Whatever's wrong to you is right wrong to you. We live in a, a society, even in this country, in which scripture classes are wanting to be support taken off of, taken out of schools and these ethic classes and others brought into schools that say there is no certain right there is no one thing you have to follow we live in a society that says there is no sort of right there's no sort of right ethics or morals and there is no god you worship whoever you want to worship there are different gods for different people. And, and in, in reality, there's a, this universalism which is taught in society that says, well, all the gods are the same anyway. We all get to the same place. If we're all just nice to each other and we all get along and there, there's no sort of rules, everyone just uh, get along. And it sounds wonderful, I think, but in reality... It leads to death and it leads to destruction. And we as a church have to be aware when we're leaving that first love, when we are slipping into the ways of society and the ways of the world that they say are acceptable and that they say is okay, and when we're moving away from what God's Word says is acceptable or is okay. And we... Although you may not be bowing down to an idol in your house or in, in a place of worship, we so often can put other things before God as well and say, God, we're, we're not following your way anymore. We're going our own. Or, God, I know you want me to do this, but that just takes way too much time. If I have more time, I'll, I'll follow you. If I have more time, I'll get involved in this ministry. God, I know you've given me this gifting. I know you've given me this passion to serve. And look, I've got, just got to get a few things out of the way and then I'll follow you. We put things before God when God says He needs to be first and He will take care of the rest. Oh, oh how 
how less, much less stress we can live with if we just put God first. Oh, how different our life can be if we just put God first. How different the direction of our church would be if we just put God first in everything. Because He takes care of the rest. He provides for the rest. He resources the rest. He loves us. He provides for us. He cares for us. Because we just put Him first. And then quickly in verses 9 to 12, I'm not going to go into all these verses, I'll challenge you to read them a bit later on. Chapter 2, verse 9 to 12, God talks about His faithfulness to the people of Israel even though they were always unfaithful to Him. He says, I've never not loved you. I've never been unfaithful to you. In verse 9, He talks about how He defeated the Amorites who were the enemies. In verse 10, He talks about how He rescued the people from, from Egypt, from captivity and slavery of Hundreds of years in Egypt. In verse 11, he talks about his love and his care for the people. He's never stopped loving them. He's never stopped leading them. He's never stopped protecting them and caring for them. And even in chapter 2, verse 13 through chapter 3, verse 2, he talks about his love for the people of Israel. And so therefore his need to, to punish or to bring direction for them. In chapter 2, verse 13, he says, Now then, because you've gone away from me, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. The swift will not escape. The strong will not muster their strength. The warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The fleet-footed soldier will not get away. And the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest of warriors will flee naked on the day, declares the Lord. Hear this, people of Israel. The word of the Lord has spoken against you, against this whole family that I brought out of Egypt. You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for your sins. That word, therefore, in verse 2 is a powerful one. Now, I know I often say if you see that word, therefore, you have to say, what's that word, therefore, therefore? And so it forces you to look at the beginning of that. It says, I have chosen you from the beginning. Remember the covenant we have made, that I will be there for you and I will protect you and I will lead you to what is right. Therefore, you are my people and I have loved you. Therefore, I will punish you for your sins. Now, nobody likes to get punished, do they? I know, I hate it. I hate it when I was a, a child. I still hate when I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't know about you. I don't like admitting when I'm wrong. I don't like when I'm being corrected and, and redirected. But we need it sometimes, don't we? And we need to be willing to go, okay, actually, I was wrong on that. I don't know how many of you have ever got it wrong. Most of you probably never have. But even as a parent, as a parent sometimes, I get it wrong. And I remember sometimes having to come back into my kids and talk to them and say, you know what, I had that wrong. And to talk to them and be willing to say, sometimes we make mistakes 
And unfortunately, sometimes I had it right and, and I needed to direct them. No good father likes to punish their kids. I hate it. I can't stand it. I hate when I have to be seemingly harsh with them or set down rules and say, no, this is this. Or to punish them for something that they've done wrong. I, I hate it. Now, my kids may think I like it, but I don't. I hate it. But it's needed sometimes, isn't it? As parents. And we've all seen those, those kids running around like, mm, well, they need some rules. Yeah? What they need is this. And, and we've got it all figured out for everyone else's kids, don't we? And everyone else's families. But we have to be willing to take that punishment ourselves in our uh, redirection. The people, Israel, the people of God, Israel and Judah here in the story, they're God's dearly loved people. And he wants nothing more than for them to, to thrive and to know his richest blessings. He wants them to tell the world about his strength and his blessing and his grace. But when they deliberately go against him, he brings punishment to lead them back to where they need to be. And he does the same for you and for me. There are consequences when we reject God's word and God's ways. There are consequences when we, we don't trust God and we don't treat God right and we don't treat others right. And yet even when we fail, even when we fall, even when we, we are unfaithful and we dishonor God with our lives, He is forever faithful. And He still shows love and He still shows grace. He still delivers us and He still provides for us. Chapter 2, verse 9 through 12 are all about how God continued to provide for the people and, and protect them and lead them. And even verse, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, I, I punish you because I love you. I'm trying to do what is best for you as my people. Over the next several weeks, we'll look at some different challenges for the people of Israel that Amos brings in his great messages to them. Some different ways that the people of God have, have fallen away from God and not following Him and, and they're not living according to how God wants them to and how He tries to direct them to what is best. And my prayer is that as we work our way through this series and through this great book, we ourselves are willing to look at our own lives. How have we been like them? How have we stepped outside of God's will? How are we at lakes unfaithful to God? How are we as individuals at times unfaithful to God? And you and I have to be willing to do the uncomfortable, to recognize when we've made mistakes, to recognize when we've done, when we're in the wrong, and to be willing to allow God to punish at times, yes, to bring consequences at times, yes, but also to to mold us and to form us into who we need to be and to accept God's forgiveness, to accept God's grace. We are a fallen people, that is true. But God is a gracious and merciful God. That is forever true. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. And I thank you for your faithful love. You never leave us. You never forsake us. God, I thank you for your grace. Lord, we are a fallen people. And as we look at 
the sins of others and the, the fallenness of this people of Israel. Oh, so often we can see us. We can see our church. We can see our community. We can see our families. We can see ourselves. Lord, help us to be challenged by your Spirit to take a good look at ourselves and how we are living. Are we unfaithful to you? God, thank you for your faithfulness. Teach us, God, to be like you. Help us, Lord, to love like you. Help us, Lord, to show your grace, to show your mercy, to live by your word, to be changed by you, to truly be your church, lifting you up in this community, allowing you to share your love and grace with others through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.